Hey there, I'm Lalita Krishnan and you're listening to episode 34 of Heart of Conservation. Today I'm speaking with two plant and tree lovers, basically tree experts, you know. I find it so fascinating to listen to folks who are passionate and knowledgeable about the things that they love because they bring a whole different perspective to subjects that we know little about. Today the flora we're going to talk about or discuss are everyday plants and trees we pass by, sit under or love for the fruits and um, flowers, but we truly, we barely notice them and know very little about them. I promise you some extraordinary insights, botanical facts, myths, history and personal stories and more on this episode. My guest Malika Ravi Kumar is a lawyer turned writer. She writes about history, culture and nature and has authored over six books, mostly for children, including one called Tracing Roots. She also has her own YouTube channel called Tree Talk with Malika Ravi Kumar. You're very likely to have watched her on Insta, but you can also check out more about her work on her website, malikaravikumar.com. I've also been following Trees of Shillong on Insta, which belongs to Nishant Srinivas, my other guest. Nishant has a master's degree in biotechnology, reproduction, development and genetics at the Indian Institute of Science. Having changed course, he's now based out of Shillong, working with an NGO called Conservation Initiatives. He specializes in satellite mapping and is interested in human-elephant interaction and landscape ecology. I believe Nishant loves doodling, graphic design and writing and staring at tree canopies. I have a feeling that's true of both of my guests. Malika, Nishant, thank you so much for joining me on Heart of Conservation. I'm really looking forward to your stories. Thank you. Thank you, Lalita, for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Lalita, for having us. Pleasure, my pleasure, really. Oh, to start with, why don't you all briefly tell me about the fascination for plants and trees? Malika, why don't you go first? Uh, okay, so I grew up in Mumbai, which, as we all know, is, uh, you know, a, pop, a, a city with a lot of people and a lot of concrete and not uh, uh, trees is not something you think about when you you know not don't associate with Mumbai. Uh, so I grew up like any city person, uh, knowing very little about trees. And then I happened to shift into a place uh, where I was surrounded by trees, and I was very curious. And I felt very bad that I didn't know, I couldn't recognize most of the trees around me. I didn't know their names, and it made me feel like something was off because I knew from what I had learned in you know, science and textbooks that we get our oxygen from trees, we get our food from trees, uh, trees are such an important part of regulating the environment. So the role of trees academically in textbooks, I was aware of, but I was not able to, you know, identify more than a handful of trees, which made me feel uh, uh, very awkward. And that uh, started my process of really wanting to learn. I enrolled for field botany lessons during weekends at BNHS. I went for some field, uh, you know, other uh, trips with uh, botanists and ornithologists to learn about birds and trees and things. And once uh, that was like, you know, took me down the rabbit hole and then uh, that learning process is still going on. So that's how it all began. <laughs> yeah, the learning process for all of us will keep going on, I hope. Right. What about you, Nishan? So my story is not much different to what Malika's story is. I'm also from the city. I'm from Bangalore. 
and like basically so such a city ki like uh, just just like what she just mentioned like please give us oxygen when i remember when i was like i was so concerned about environment reading about all of this thing is uh, during summer holidays the best thing that i would get to do is the most nature outdoorsy the thing that i would do is uh, go to my grandparents place and they had a very big garden and there were like every possible fruit tree there and uh, this actually started my love for gardening it actually started from gardening and uh, it just went there and i took a different route i went uh, studied biotechnology and i happened to work in indian institute of science and there there was more trees and they have like a 400 plus acre uh, campus filled with trees and uh, all the free time would be spent observing trees canopies eventually somewhere i changed maybe it, like sort of fueled my change to a different profession and now i'm in conservation and uh, sort of like i actually started observing trees beyond what is there in the city and uh, that's how trees of shillong was born and uh, here we are great it's amazing how the outdoor eventually sort of draws us out of the buildings yeah so, yeah yeah so another guest introduced the concept this not his but he introduced me to nature deficiency syndrome, syndrome right Yeah. So but yeah. but still I'd like to hear from you all why do you think tree stories are important Nishant do you want to go first Tree stories or stories in general with respect to myths or folk stories I believe are very much important like from coming from a conservation point of view for us when, whenever we we approach a, a place or a, a region to understand what is the people's belief and how they connect with the culture it's usually starts with their understanding or they trying to make sense of what is around them and most of this is usually in the form of these folk stories and there might be biases as a conservationist so i try to bring in this idea of conservation a lot and even in my stories when i write about trees of shillong i usually end it with uh, some uh, two lines about conservation which is very much the need of the art so the thing is for me these stories actually mean that they get it, as a researcher as a conservationist gives me uh, an understanding of the local context and how people relate to it and uh, some sense of relation of how they understand and make sense of the nature around them right so true malika yeah yeah very similar to what nishan said you know especially in a country like india where we are such an ancient culture we have such a huge plethora of stories and folk tales and myths and legends about trees in various uh, from various backgrounds you know hinduism buddhism islam in every in every tradition there are people who consider certain trees sacred and there is a association with them and i think all of us you know as uh, going into the psychology of it people uh, act because for, uh, their actions are based not only on reason alone although we'd like to believe that you know we are rational reasonable people uh, intelligence plays a very important role in how we behave but uh, reason is only one of the faculties we use to take decisions the other huge uh, you know factor is emotion you know many things we do in our life that uh, we connect uh, we, the decision to marry somebody the decision to uh, do uh, you know follow a certain career it is based on uh, you know hope and dreams and also mixed with emotion it is not only reason alone that guides us so uh, this overwhelming amount of uh, you know uh, pummeling people with facts alone that you know trees give us oxygen trees do this and trees regulate the environment all these appeal to a certain side of us 
but i think these legends and myths and uh, folk tales and uh, rituals and traditions uh, they appeal to the emotional side of us which is also a very important part of human you know decision making or psychology so i think they have a very important role and in fact sometimes i think emotions play a larger role you know when i connect with a tree or a plant or say let my pet dog or whatever emotionally i feel much more to protect them and save them than if i just connected it connected with them academically or you know intellectually so i think they play an important role in the way humans behave in in general yeah and from a male point of view nishant uh, do you think that emotional connect is also there with you yes yes very much so the thing is the whole point of why we are very much interested and learn and try to like talk about myths or when we like generally have a conversation even when we like do something like a presentation it's it's to have that emotional connect it's uh, when 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 we speak of myths and folk stories so it it also reveals a lot about the culture and them trying to make sense so yes uh, emotional aspect makes a very good uh, point and yes it's important yeah. thank you both of you this question is for both of you so how many trees are you going to share with us today uh, malika if you would like to start you know you can tell us some interesting facts that you like and then start with the myth uh sure i mean how many trees there's no answer to that one can go <laughs> endlessly but no. uh, yeah i i would be happy to start with one of my, you know tree that i uh, like to talk about a lot it is a teak tree which is an indian tree uh, it's called saag in hindi and tekkamaram in the south in fact the word teak itself comes from the word tekkamaram which is a malayalam which is in malayalam and then before that in tamil uh, it's uh, a tree which really changed world history you know we have uh, this uh, human centric way of looking at history and saying this king changed history and this general alexander the great and akbar the great and you know chandragupta maurya and they did this and they changed history but if uh, really it is the resource. so many of these trees if they could speak they tell you that they were the ones who changed history and changed the course of time so teak is one of those trees you know it uh, there is there is this period in history between uh, in in the in the 16th and 17th century that is called a period of teak rush Uh, which was a time when the french and the british were uh, engaged in several battles you know it was time uh, just uh, yeah before napoleon and during napoleon's time uh when the british were very wary of the rise of napoleon because he was a big threat and they they were they had completely decimated their the the oak trees of england to build ships and as we all know the britain was able to control such a large part of the world because they had a you know great navy and what was their navy what was the basis of their navy their ships and what were their ships made of wood uh but their oak uh, forests were completely decimated because of the uh, ships that they had built in conquering various places and they were in the lookout for wood to build their ships and that is uh, when this period of teak rush comes in when both the french and the british are on the lookout for wood for building their ships because all these battles that used to happen were naval battles and by chance it is the british who discover the teak forests of southern india and then they uh, you know bring in forest laws to control all our forest conservation laws that we have today they didn't start as a measure of wanting to protect the forest as much as wanting to control the resources from the forest and what is the main resource they wanted to control was teak and uh, they had uh, scouts going out to look out for these teak forests to, to they massacred these forests they had teak plantations they con- converted a large forest for large forest areas into monoculture teak plantations and it is the teak which they got uh, that helped them get the sort of hegemony and conquer larger parts of the world so uh, it really tilted the scales of history and you know we're having this conversation in english today because of teak i mean otherwise maybe we would be talking in french who knows 
but uh, it's it's teak that really changed the tide and made uh, was the bedrock of the british empire and uh, so yeah that's just one of the many stories of how trees right. have changed our past and uh, continue to shape our present that's quite amazing frankly i didn't know it sounds like the gold rush i've never heard of the teak rush yes. <laughs> yeah uh, nishant what what plant or tree are you going to bring home to our listeners well i've thought of four four plants but one tree which i think we all know which is very common is the coconut so for me i've always been intrigued so there was a coconut tree near my home uh in bangalore in a neighbor's house and it stood tall but there like i think in 2018 we had very terrible rains i guess it was like a very cyclonic and there were like couple of trees which fell but this one tree did not fall and always i used to think why coconut trees do not like you do not hear of many instances of coconut trees falling and when you flip on the weather channel you'll always see there's some coast and when they talk about trees or when they talk about rain in the weather reports will see some palm trees flailing around but it's not usually uprooting away so i always used to think about uh, why and it's very interesting of uh, how coconut trees have adapted to live in a coastal region like where there is no like a geographical like it's geographically quite flat and as we know like when the when the winds come in when they pick up rain the first thing which they'll encounter is the coast and uh, so then how have they adapted is something quite interesting so coconut trees first of all the shape is like they're like a tube like palm like any other palm tree and uh, if you actually observe the bottom of the tree is a little bit more wider than the top very marginally and the top region of the tree or the crown as we call it is quite flexible so that is one so we we all have seen uh, um, bahubali where he uses the palm tree to like make it so flexible that he is wind born and things like that it, though palm trees generally are not that flexible but uh, the top region is quite flexible so this sort of it sways and moves when there is a lot, lot of wind movement so that is one and when we talk about structure of the coconut tree inside so the thing is uh, it's um, it's a monocot so monocot trees don't grow by girth every year it uh, and it's made up of it's spongy tissue inside with a lot it's so much like a uh, like concrete mold and reinforced by lignin fibers these fibers la- run longitudinally along the length of the coconut tree so they are like uh, the steel which is inside the concrete so it pro- provides the structural stability to the tree so that is one and the other is the roots so we all have seen the roots these roots are like fibrous they are going in every direction and they up they hold the tree in place so it's it's like any other and the last but not the least is the frond so the coconut tree leaf is it's almost like feather like it's pinnate so it has a central uh, big uh, stem like we can call the rachis so most of the very tall palm trees have this feather like like leaf so these are some of the very interesting adaptations i came across when i was un- trying to understand how the coconut tree stands a cyclone wow so you researched wow. it really well and also this i believe every part of the coconut tree can be used am i right about that that's true that's uh, that's one of the reason why it's called i guess kalpuruksha i'm sure malika would have many more yes. things to tell about it. but uh, interestingly since uh, coconut trees are there in the tropical regions all around so there are like multiple stories of how or what when it comes to the folk stories each 
culture or region has their own take on it and that's quite interesting okay did you want to share that or should we move on i'll quickly share two of them one of them is from uh, our like hindu mythology itself which is like when ganesh was very small uh, he wanted to play with the third eye of shiva and then uh, i guess one of the demons if i'm not mistaken uh, makes uh, one small eye a, a model with three eyes and gives it by mistake this small whatever doll or idol falls off ganesha's hands and it falls on earth and they say that's how coconut came into existence in like mankind found coconut okay. so that is one of the stories there's one more very interesting story about why they again similar to this uh, the three eyes when you dehusk a coconut why it has three eyes uh, from the polynesian culture hawaii micronesia all of those places new zealand so what uh, what they say is in in an ancient island there used to be a chieftain's daughter her name was sina s i n a sina so she used to like she used to always visit the, visit the sea and uh, she sort of became friends with an eel and this eel over time started developing feelings for sina and uh, and she would and this eel would like sort of becoming very violent as time grew on wanting more of her time and affection but then she goes back to a village and complains about it uh, that there is this eel which is like sort of like always stalking her and then uh, her relatives one of them goes and kills this eel and so before dying the eel eel's head speaks and tells to sina to bury the head in in the sand and that it will be born as a tree whose fruit sina will drink so every time she opens so those three holes is where yeah. the coconut uh, shell is the most lightest so every time you break open and drink it's like almost the eel kissing sina so that's huh. what it says so these are like very different yeah. stories and they talk lovely. about geometry lovely stories so. yeah malika yeah. would you like to talk about another one uh sure uh, i can talk about uh, a plant which is not a tree but a lot of people right. think it is a tree which is a banana uh-huh. uh, in you know usual parlance we say banana tree okay like a jhaad or varamaram in tamil it's actually botanically not a tree and the reason is uh, for a, a botanically a plant to be considered a tree uh, the key feature is the wooden trunk and a banana uh, when you notice it closely it doesn't have a wooden trunk so it is not botanically a tree although you know we all call it a tree uh, so this is interesting story from the gadaba tribe of odisha uh, which i like very much so the story goes that there were five sisters they were the mango the tamarind the fig the jamun and the banana and their father as they were growing older the father was getting worried that they weren't married and he wanted to find husbands for each of them uh, so uh, he uh, asked what kind of husbands they want they all told him uh, and uh, he looked for such you know uh, partners for them but the banana said i want children but i don't want a husband so this is very modern uh, you know feminist sort of story so i like it for many reasons she said i want uh, uh, children but i am very clear that i don't want a husband so uh, the father grew worried you know that how is this going to work uh, so but the other girls got married and then they had uh, children and it is said that all the mango and fig and tamarind and jamun trees that we have are descendants of those children uh but then what about banana you know she said i don't want to marry but i want children so the thing is that the uh, so as per the story banana had children without husband without a husband and uh, the beautiful thing of the story is that uh, bananas reproduce parthenogenetic parthenogenetically 
that is they don't have that's asexual reproduction you know so uh, it, 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 in botanical terms if one were to study that you'd study that you know uh, there are two forms of uh, reproduction one is sexual one is asexual and the way the banana reproduces is without uh, you know bypassing the uh, fertilization of the ovule by the pollen which is sexual reproduction and it is fascinating to see that this ancient folk tale has captured that in in such a simple way that you know of daughters wanting to marry and one daughter saying you know i want children but i don't want a husband and to see that this uh, you know very astute scientific observation has is it finds reflection in this folk tale so i find it very fascinating for many reasons including the fact that it's a sort of modern feminist sort of take on uh, on uh, on life but yeah this is a fascinating story about the banana that i, I in fact also shared in my uh, youtube channel where i share these All sort right. of things is it i find fascinating i totally agree with you how on <laughs> earth did they figure it out yes. then nishant your turn another tree another plant uh, okay uh one more tree again which is like quite common in bangalore's garden is uh, gardens is uh, this thing uh, nictanthus arborcristis it's called uh, parijata um it's also called as uh, night loving jasmine though it's not belonging to the jasmine family so um so uh, again uh, in uh, according to legend what happens is this tree um, also comes from the churning of the milky ocean when the demons and um, uh, like gods so they they churn up this mountain and then uh, from that ocean arises this tree and indra plants it in his garden so then uh, once narada narada is usually a mischief monger so what he does is take some of the flowers from this uh, idras garden and gives it to krishna and uh, krishna goes and gives it to rukmini his wife so then having seen having known this narada being narada he goes and tells to his uh, uh, krishna's other wife satyamama that rukmini got these heavenly flowers and uh, satyamama becomes quite jealous so then she asks for the whole tree and krishna so he goes and steals the tree and enrude when he's coming with the tree so then he's confronted by indra and a battle ensues and uh, then eventually what happens is indra curses the tree such that it never produces fruit so interestingly uh, this parijata doesn't produce a fruit it belongs to oliaci family it produces a heart shaped capsule so oliaci is the olive family the olive fruit so this doesn't produce that it just produces a capsule and uh, he also uh like uh, sort of this is a little bit humor uh, it's like uh, he he says it you the owners will never get the the, the garden where this planted they will never get the flower and so i what i have observed is usually bangalore mornings like at around 6:00 uh, 7:00 you see all yeah. these uh, people coming to pick these plants and it's usually the flower never like people would have part planted in their garden and the flower is always falling on the road side <laughs> so probably it makes sense why they say that so yes so these are some of the things which uh, i found nice so yeah. that also it, it it brings to thought like same thing which we already discussed which is like uh, like we don't know what came first whether this or that but it's basically people trying to make sense of what they observe in nature and uh, putting it into like, some sort yeah. of a context very interesting so, you know i can so relate like uh, i never get any of the fruits or flowers they all go to the <laughs> monkeys mostly to the monkeys but i don't feel cursed yeah. i feel privileged i think it's a tax one pays you know 
<laughs> for having them around. <laughs> Wildlife around. Yeah. yeah. Malika, what next? Uh, yeah, just uh, the story that Nishan narrated uh, again. I know I had a parijat growing near uh, my house, and it was exactly like that. It was on uh, the, the plant was on one side of the fence, and the flowers were falling on the other, the building on the other side of the fence. And uh, the, that story actually also has another element where you know when he brings back the tree, uh, uh -huh. Rukmini is very upset and says, "Why did you give Satyabama the uh, the tree?" So Krishna is uh, very smart and plants it in a way that uh, Satyabama is happy to have the tree, but mm -hmm. the flowers actually come to Rukmini's. side of the garden because he knew that and so both his wives were happy so that was another uh, that was an so there are many these folk stories have several you know uh, narratives and several variations yes so that's yeah. also very interesting that someone has heard one part and then you hear another part and okay. so this is a version of the story that i had heard but yes it it's a beautiful tree and flowers and lovely story also mm. another tree with lovely flowers i can think of is the silk cotton tree the semal so the silk cotton tree this this story comes from the mahabharat this story is narrated by bhishma when he's on the bed of arrows uh, when you know he's about to die uh, and a lot of all the others come around and ask him for advice and ask for they ask various questions and he narrates the story when he's asked what is the quality of a good king how must how must a king behave uh, when a you know the neighboring king is uh, stronger than him what is the way one you know what sort of diplomacy and relations one must have so he narrates the story of the silk cotton tree he says one day and again nishant mentioned narada so this story uh, struck me narad muni as he said you know it's a troublemaker and he was walking along this forest and he comes upon this beautiful silk cotton tree and he is absolutely stunned and he says you know you're you're so gorgeous and your flowers are so beautiful how is it that you're still standing like this because uh, the the wind is blowing so hard uh, over here and all the trees are bent and all the trees are uh, sort of uh, uh, you know Uh, the leaves have fallen because of this vayu has blown uh, with such force but you seem to be unaffected by vayu's force uh, how is it possible so the mm -hmm. silk cotton uh, replies saying you know vayu is not uh, vayu is maybe strong for the others but i am stronger than vayu and what is what do you think you think i can't bear the brunt of the breeze and all that so he boasts about how strong he is and narada is uh, you know sure that you know nobody uh, if if vayu really wants to the wind really wants to uh, blow something down nobody can stand in its way so he as being a troublemaker goes back to vayu and says you know there is this proud silk cotton tree in this forest who thinks that it's stronger than you and i find it laughable then vayu vayu of course uh, says you know of course that's ridiculous i have not uh, you know uh, uh, i've spared this silk cotton tree because when brahma created the world he rested under this tree and therefore i have respect for this tree and therefore i don't blow but if this silk cotton tree is going to interpret this as my weakness let me show him how strong i am so uh, he just he says next day i'm going to uh, i'll show him uh, how strong i am tomorrow but that night the silk cotton thinks and reflects and he looks at all the trees around and thinks that you know if all these trees are bent and uh, turned over and leaves have fallen and they are all facing vayu's impact surely it can't be that he is so strong that he doesn't feel uh, you know he is stronger than vayu so that night the silk cotton tree decides that you know before vayu comes let me myself drop my leaves uh, and drop all my flowers so that when vayu comes tomorrow he cannot inflict any damage on me <laughs> so the next day when vayu comes blowing fierce, fiercely down the mountain side uh, he found finds that sil there is nothing you know silk cotton does nothing not have left. leaves or flowers <laughs> nothing left nothing left on the branches and he says you know i'm glad you learned the lesson uh, to be humble uh, and uh, <laughs> now shown of your beauty 
uh, you have realized that you know you you don't need to you don't need to show off many times people are being gracious and nice to you it's not all about uh, how strong you are so right. bhishma is narrating the story to say that you know you have to accept that somebody is stronger than you and not just uh, uh, be uh, few, be futile and say that oh i can take on anyone if your neighboring king is stronger than you accept and and you know humble uh, be humble and bow before him that was a, that was the context <laughs> of the story but uh, oh. i use the story when you know i take children out for tree walks to tell them about right. leaves falling uh, and why some trees are deciduous and some trees are evergreen and have you noticed trees leaves falling so uh, if you just start off with uh, deciduous and evergreen uh, kids sort of get put off but right. if you start off with the story you know it becomes a, a point of uh, you know generating curiosity and then they start noticing which trees around them are dropping yeah. leaves and some kids have come back to me and said you know auntie we remembered the story from the mahabharat when you told <laughs> us when we saw this tree outside my school which was dropping leaves so these stories uh, so the important thing also yeah. is to connect kids with trees around right. them because yeah. become ways to generate curiosity yeah this is wonderful yeah. i'm feeling like a kid listening to your stories <laughs> so nice nishant why don't you tell us more what's your next tree of choice a plant so next is the next is actually a plant it's it's a type of ginger and this just takes forward to what just malika said which is like some of these stories and uh, these myths they're also serving a purpose to teach uh, the kids or younger generation something like there is some moral behind it so this one is about uh, a type of rock ginger so rock gingers have like very showy flowers so they are quite common in the himalayan region but, but it's called like butterfly ginger butterfly right, rock right, ginger right. it's called different names but uh, these have like very showy flowers and um, so they are quite common in the, in and around like uh, the himalayan region this particular uh, plant it's, uh, it's the scientific name is called as hedichium gardnerium and uh, since i work in uh, in meghalaya so this is one story which came to me from one of the museums that i visited here so they have this plant and they have the story along with it so in khasi this ka- plant is called kathiu lalingi lalingi which i understand must be the name and thiu uh, is actually flower so in khasi thiu is known as flower so the thing is there is a scene which is called watlong thiu lalingi pepshat which basically or roughly translates to do not be late like the lalingi flower who missed the dance so the story goes that uh, there was a, a great feast so there was a huge tree called the e tree e i e i so i'm sure i'm pronouncing these things wrong but uh, anyway that's all if, right uh, we don't know um, any difference if someone knows yeah if someone knows the correct pronunciation please do get back to me the thing is so there was a large tree and uh, this uh, this tree was sort of blotting out the sunlight and uh, that itself is a different story but anyway so eventually what happens uh, the people cut it down and then there is sunlight again in the land and uh, there is like a celebration and all of that happens so so in order to celebrate all the all the creatures like uh, basically animals people whoever there are birds insects everyone were invited to a great dance uh, in meghalaya so Uh, in that region so then what happens is there's also this girl who's invited her name is lalingi and she's a very beautiful young girl and she happens to come there but the thing is uh, she's like she's she wants to look the best so what she does is she takes a lot of time to get ready so she in that in that uh, process of getting ready she loses track of time so by the time she reaches the dance arena she finds that the event is already over 
and she's quite upset by it and so what she does is she because nobody is there to see the way that she is uh, like basically become ready or and she's about to like uh, enter this dance and you know, she finds that there's no one she gets so upset that she jumps off the cliffs and dies so oh, yeah. wherever she dies uh, there she dies a flower is born and that flower is what is this hedichim gardenarium and this is so much uh, like um, in the thing is it's part of the culture because it's in uh, like if you've seen the traditional kasi dress it's mostly uh, they have these beads called as pila beads which is like in shades of golden yellow and red and this flower has stamens which are like of the same hue which are red and the petals are yellow so in some sense it is like they feel it's part of their folk story and most of the these stories like it's mostly oral it's all it's all oral tradition which they have here in meghalaya and they have these stories which they pass down from gen- generations and this is something which they feel like as one of their own which yeah. tell something about their culture and also interpret some sort of a uh, a uh, moral lesson to children to like like prioritize and give importance to things when they are doing something so wow that's beautiful that's sad but beautiful and also very exotic yeah. uh, flower very exotic yeah it is it's, it's quite pretty if you google yeah. it and see it's quite pretty yeah so yes. uh malika would you like to share another story or plants something you uh, like <laughs> Sure so uh, another common very commonly seen tree in india is the neem uh, so i this is not a a story which which comes from myth or folk or legend it is a historical uh, you know current affairs sort of story where uh, you know the neem uh, as we all know you know when uh, tradition is has been a traditional medicine uh, in india for centuries uh and uh, right from the time you know uh, from ancient times to our, we have all experienced how if you have uh, sort of chicken pox or something you are told to have a bath with uh, neem leaves in the water or you scratch yourself with neem uh, branches so it's it, it it's healing uh and neem generally the if there is a neem tree around you uh, you know one considers that you know mosquitoes won't come into your house and neem is just it's just part of you know uh, people growing up in india you just hear of the healing properties of neem uh but uh, some decades ago there was a the us uh, in, in the us there was a company that was granted a patent for the use of neem in their uh, pesticide or herbicide for controlling uh, you know uh, pests in plants uh, and then they also applied for the patent in the european patent office and fortunately you know uh, it, it, this was highlighted and india opposed that the indian council of scientific research they opposed that uh, and they said this is traditional knowledge now patent as we all know is you know a, a special right that is given to you if you have invested in researching something and you've come up with something very novel and it is original uh, and it is of use to people that those are the considerations for a patent but here is somebody asking for a patent for something that was commonly known like you know haldi is another one uh, basmati as we know they also got a patent sometime back for uh, basmati so many indian plants uh, some of them medicinal uh, which uh, whose healing properties have been common knowledge you know even illiterate uneducated everybody in india knows about these healing properties of these plants you don't need to be some doctor or anything uh, and you get a patent for that where you're claiming that you have something original and useful and uh, you know a novel was something that india opposed and that patent was finally revoked after a lot of appeals and uh, several processes 
but what it highlighted was something called bio piracy you know piracy as we know that you know if you if you film a, a movie in a theater and then you release it and make money out of it is called a pirated copy of the movie or a book uh, because it is making money out of somebody else's creativity without giving them their due uh, but this idea of bio piracy became something you know became a talking point after this indian meme uh, incident of bio piracy uh, and india then woke up to this fact that and even till even recent till now several of the patent applications made by pharmaceutical companies and companies in the west are based on what are traditional knowledge in several uh, you know uh, ancient cultures including india uh, and then uh, fortunately this was uh, taken to you know a serious level there was discussion in a body called the indian traditional knowledge systems uh, as a database was formed where all these uh, you know if somebody in the us applies for a patent for say let's say haldi Uh, obviously they may not know that this is traditional knowledge in india but uh, the patent office can then search in this database where you have all these plants that are recorded as traditional healing plants in unani in ayurveda in siddha etc and it will show up in the search of that patent office so at least in the future uh, people private enterprises are not given rights exclusive rights for uh you know traditional healing plants that were no common knowledge in india and it all began with uh, the neem case the uh, neem biopiracy case uh, that triggered all this so that's a, a not a legend or a myth but an interesting story and especially something to be aware of that you know this is a huge amount of traditional knowledge that we are sitting on and there are people you know using this for private gain and that we should be aware of it very true i mean and biopiracy is a new one for me <laughs> interesting okay. but yeah and i doubt they are uh, get trying to get patents for anything innocently but anyway that's an absolute no the theft <laughs> of plants in fact in covid there was a very interesting article that i read uh, in covid times a lot of plants were getting stolen out of our botanical gardens orchids i mean nishant is in the northeast he will know better mm. orchids are disappearing from the northeast and you know some of them are going are, are threatened because there is this craze for owning these exotic plants and keeping them in your gardens and your uh, the west has always had this craze but even today it is there and a large number of threatened you know we know that the tiger and the elephant and we talk about these big mammals uh, when they are threatened birds etc but a large number of uh, species on that uh, iucn list are actually plants and many of them are indian plants and right. uh, we we somehow don't highlight them because they are not uh, you know as uh, uh, dramatic as the tiger and the elephant and so on yeah. but they are also butterflies too in the northeast yeah but plants yes yeah. wow <laughs> thanks for sharing that malika Yeah, Nishant, would you like to share some more? Yes, uh, Malika sort of uh, has given me proper segues into different things. So <laughs> I sort of she mentions about uh, US and how plants are collected and taken to different places. One very common plant which was uh, reverse got from like the New World to the Old World uh, is uh, it's it's scientifically known as uh, Euphorbia pulcherima and uh, it's uh, commonly known as Christmas flower. It's basically these red bracts so it's almost like bougainvillea but uh, it's usually in flower during uh, the winter during christmas time i am sure uh, both of you are familiar with seeing yeah. this plant it's a very common plant especially in western ghats it's uh, like uh, around coffee plantations it's grown as um, as a hedge it's uh, and here in shillong it's uh, it's quite common garden plant so um the thing is this uh, plant though it's like uh, it's there it's like a showy ornamental plant it has got a very nice interesting story and uh, it highlights something which i'll tell at the end of this um, it's commonly also known as poinsettia so um, it, so so the thing is even the names 
why it's called the Christmas flower or why it's called poinsettia. Each of it has a nice big story to it. So uh, this plant is actually native to the dry forests of Mexico, basically Central and Northern South America. So in, in basically in that region. So it was also during the Aztecs time, uh, the Aztec civilization, this was also one of their uh, sort of like um, a plant which uh, was of high cultural importance. Uh, in in Aztec, it, it was known as Ketaloshoshi, Keta, Ketla Shoshi. That's meaning which translates to a mortal flower that uh, uh, perishes and withers, but is all pure. And apparently, all in Aztec uh, legend, when it was formed, it was white, but because of war between two different tribes, the flower becomes red. So uh, the Aztecs used to like uh, plant this uh, around their uh, their habitations and wherever they had uh, their uh, uh, cities and stuff. But as we know about the a uh, little bit about the history of how uh, U- Europeans started uh, coming and colonizing the West. So what happens is first uh, there are these uh, friars or these uh, uh, people who work with the church when they ca- came into the uh, region around 17th century, and they noticed these plants and uh, they sort of made it. So they sort of took this uh, uh, aspect of how important this plant was and they made it part of the Christian culture. So how they did is quite interesting. So there is one uh, very interesting story. And um, in uh, Spanish, this flower is called as Flor de Nochebuena. Nochebuena means Christmas Eve, which is basically translates to flower of the Christmas Eve. So it all starts, uh, this story is basically about a girl named Pepita. So uh, I'm sure you're all aware during Christmas time, uh, basically they make a manger, uh, which is like a model of uh, the birth of Jesus, like outside the house of church. And they have these small models of uh, of what happened during this uh, the time, it's called the nativity scene. So this girl in her village, she comes from a very modest background. The story goes that uh, all the people basically go to the church in order to offer something to this baby Jesus. So everyone is like trying to buy the best things uh, to give as offering to Jesus. So then uh, this girl, uh, being from a very modest background, she tries her hand at many things. Uh, She tries to make a shawl, but all the woolen is all uh, like um, she she can't get around to untangle all those woolen threads and then she tries to make uh, small boots for uh, baby Jesus but she can't even have she doesn't even have the strength to push the needle to the through the leather so then she's like quite upset and a stranger comes up to her and tells to this young Pepita that even if you offer something with with a lot of like devotion it will be accepted and so she goes around and gathers a bunch of leaves and twigs and uh, she goes to the church and then she offers these uh, twigs and leaves and then what tends to happen is uh, magically over time these leafy whatever greens that she has picked they all turned red so this sort of uh, also goes back to the plant as I was telling that they are not actually flowers they're like like the bougainvillea those are those red bracts the flowers themselves are quite small so they have like sort of weaved the aspect of those and also the thing of it coming into flower during the like during the winter time around uh, christmas so that sort of like is weaved into the uh, into the story of our christianity when it was like sort of introduced there so that is what i found interesting so it sort of gives a re- reference point so some of these 
myths and stories may stay but it's like uh, just as how some aspects get introduced and they they become one of their own so that was what this story represents to me so the word also the word poinsettia is also quite interesting so the thing is so it was there malika mentioned about how people collect so there was a person by the name of uh, joel roberts poinsett so he was a person who was very much interested in collecting plants and like basically and he was um, like he is from the us and he was working as an ambassador to mexico in uh, uh, somewhere during uh, early uh, 19th century so when he was there he collects these plants and sends it to the botanical garden and in honor of him having discovered this having introduced it to the western world per se so it was named as poinsettia and that's how it got the name mm. and uh, and in political terminology there is a term called as poinsettismo which basically represents uh, a kind of diplomacy which us follows which is like very intrusive when they go it's like uh, it 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 basically like uh, represents how us is or has functioned with other neighboring or other countries which they trade with so this it it this kind of uh, also tells like how words like how words are derived and how their stories attached to it and what mm. are the roots of those stories and this is an example of of a plant being behind one such right. name so, amazing yeah. like a kaleidoscope of uh, meanings and you know yeah. thank you i i was just about to say that i uh, learned a new word i haven't heard this poin cities more before yeah. i'm going to look this up and read more about it <laughs> so true and it's so true that now it's almost i, I remember two christmases back i actually took somebody a poin set yeah the association is still there you know the lovely and so it's actually so it all came from one small place like the poin set that you have it all came from one mm. small town in uh, mexico and it got sent to the philadelphia botanical i think society and from there i if i'm not mistaken uh, just one one or one company they had world domination and they sent this point city to different parts of the world so all of them probably have one or two mother plants if i'm not mistaken if i may say so so it's quite interesting so that's how it is Thank you so much. So my last question to you and I feel almost guilty asking you this question because you both of you have introduced so many new concepts and words and but I'm going to ask because this is how I always end my podcast. So could you share something about trees or plants that is new for us and significant to you in one in some way? It could even be, you know, your relationship with plants. I don't know. Just um, whatever you can think of. uh before that can i just uh, add to something that nishan said which reminded me of something of else yeah so nishan mentioned you know how beautifully the the idea that uh, the, this girl was told that uh, you know you offer something with devotion and that is that is the most important thing which there is a mirror you know story of that even uh, here in in fact that is one of the stories i thought i could narrate but we don't have time is a popular story of shabri and the bear you know the jujube indian jujube <laughs> where you have a shabri picking a, a bear fruits from the tree and offering it to ram it comes from the odia ramayana it's not in valmiki's ramayana but it comes from the odia ramayana and that became a very important story in the bhakti movement to cut across barriers of caste and you know varna and 
say that you know uh, that uh, and when ram in that in that odia ramayan he accepts this jhoote uh, bear as they say she has tasted mm-hmm. the fruit to make sure they are sweet and then gives it right. to ram and lakshman says i cannot eat this but ram says you know anything offered to me with love and devotion uh, is is acceptable and nobody is small or nobody is lesser or greater and i will take anything that is given to me with love and devotion so it is exactly you know the mirror uh, story of what he mentions so in every culture i guess you have such stories and it's really beautiful to see study these parallels and even in the bhagavad gita you have a, a, a shlok which a verse which is exactly that patram pushpam phalam toyam yome bhaktya prayachati where it is you give me water you offer me fruits you offer me flowers you give me anything but as long as you give it to me with devotion i will take it so it's a beautiful uh, thought and very often those offerings are plants you know that you offer fruits and plants and flowers uh, sure. which is a form of expressing devotion to what the any whichever divine power that you worship Wow, mm-hmm. I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. Hey, listen, between you guys, you can start a oral history of plants podcast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would love to. Too many stories to go on one, uh, one. Yes, There are actually a lot episode. more stories. Yeah, yeah I think it would be amazing. Um, yeah, encyclopedia yeah, of stories. Yeah, great, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, coming back to my question, yeah. Nishant Malika, either of you want to start? Uh, so one word which uh, comes to mind and which is uh, i think uh, central to why the reason why i'm here also is uh, green blindness so mm-hmm. the thing is uh, we so this term uh, i forgot who introduced this um, and if if i'm not mistaken it is uh, a botanist from somewhere from the us i forgot their name but the thing is it basically tells like how it's what the word says it's like how people are like they do not see things which are green like uh, we always when what really like captures our imagination is basically things which move animals birds insects those are like they come to mind very fast but the thing is at the most when we talk about plants uh, like a common person may talk about in respects with how it is of utility like in respect to food or in respect to like ornament like a flower but then plants are much more and they are like everything like they are the reason why we are here and uh, but it's somewhere when it comes to the topic of conservation as uh, malika initially talked about how when the british came when they did all of this uh, it was basically forest management with mostly utilitarian purpose they did they wanted something uh, which they wanted to extract and that's something which is still continuing even today even with uh, many forest departments where uh, there been many instances of people raising down natural forests raising down places of high biodiversity and putting down monocultures of teak and monocultures of uh, um, i guess mahogany and things like that and there are many examples like this and they keep happening and uh, with the different uh, forest laws and policies and amendments which as time is progressing uh, it, at least in indian context what is happening is it's not going for the good in some way it's going for the bad because we are also a very like aspiring nation we want to be developed we want to be one of the superpowers and we always see instances of this happening in different spectrums of life but then our conser- conservation of our natural resources our trees what is natural per se is much more important and usually the first thing which gets chopped the first which which gets the axe is always the tree when there is any development when there is anything even in our cities when there is like uh, 
road broadening mm-hmm. when there is like uh, yeah widening uh, and if there is some uh, uh, set, setting up of uh, economic zone or trying to expand anything businesses cities anything which which relates to land it's usually the trees and plants which suffer first because they can't move <laughs> they will be lost if they are removed from a region so green blindness is also one of the reasons why i started writing about plants though i do not come from a background of botany so that is something which i believe people should keep in mind and be more cognizant of what is green around them and living yeah it's so true nishan and where can we read your writings uh i just uh, i have an instagram page called trees of shillon so i yeah. okay, use it to yeah basically write about right. plants otherwise i very much like you write for uh uh magazines like round glass sustain i just saw that you had an uh, article come out about how plants uh, how ants, ants use like collect ants collect flowers so yeah uh, different things i also write to the megalyn and uh, in megalyn i've been writing more about plants i've been writing about uh, these uh, myths and uh, different trees which are very common in shillong garden so okay. yeah so do share those yeah. links i'll put it on my blog Okay Malika what would you like to share Okay so uh, while there are many ideas and you know words but uh, something that I I had noticed uh, before I started learning about trees I noticed that I when I used to walk I used to like looking up at the canopy of trees from below and you mm-hmm. know the 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 reflection and the light uh, the play of light uh, I discovered much later that there is a word in Japanese for this phenomenon and it's called uh, komorebi uh, I I and i was so happy to discover that there was actually a word for this because i you know there sometimes you observe or you have certain experiences and when you don't have a word you can't really explain what it is that you're experiencing but i was really delighted to know that there was actually a word for this light filtering through the canopy of trees and when the way you see it from below uh is called komorebi in japanese so that's a very wonderful uh, you know idea and concept and going from that the other associated term of uh, what is called crown shyness is uh, something fascinating that uh, again when i tell children or tell others about it is if you're look if you're walking below trees and let's say you're walking on a road and there are trees on both sides of the road uh, and when you look up you will notice that the canopy of the trees they are meeting but just about you know yes, they so touch much. each other but there is a slight gap between them uh and this is called uh, not all trees do this but it is observed in many places and uh this is called crown shyness where the crown crowns of the trees just stay touching distance within each of each other and the reason of course is because they don't want to raw, you know uh, they both want sunlight and if they cover one covers the other the other one is not going to get sunlight so he the, the tree is not going to grow under the shade of the other so there is a uh, a reason of course for it but uh, we we call it crown shyness and it is very easy to observe when you go out for a walk and you just look up uh, the two beautiful things you can see of course light whether it is daylight or moonlight or whatever it is filtering through these trees and this beautiful japanese word called komorebi and this concept of crown shyness which you notice it almost looks like the trees are having a conversation but they don't <laughs> want to be touching each other but they're just about touching so that's a beautiful thing to see and anybody really? can observe that when they're walking under trees Yeah it's like they've been yeah. good neighbors right they're yes. not getting into each other's space that much but 
Yes, let live and let live sort of thing. Exactly. And the yeah. Japanese word, is this the same for forest bathing? Is that the same word? Oh, no, no. That is shirin yoku. I think that is forest bathing is where you just soak in, you know, the sounds and the smells and the sight mm-hmm. of a forest and you spend time there. That was also, that's a very beautiful Japanese idea as well. But uh, this is komorebi, which is light filtering in through the canopy, through the leaves. You know, the leaves are moving in the breeze. So the light is sort of playing and dancing around. That idea is called komorebi, which is also a very beautiful thing to have a word yeah. for it yeah it paints such a yeah. pretty picture i mean a whole yes, yes. word <laughs> absolutely that's fantastic thank you both so much it's been really wonderful yes and- <laughs> it was wonderful being here and chatting and connecting with nishant and you both of you yes same here it was very nice to hear about new things and learn yes and, learn uh, yeah put forth yeah, yeah.